0: Hey, there's a show you might want to know about. Now in its 10th season, Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom is a podcast about tragedy, triumph, unequal justice, and actual innocence. Based on the files of the lawyers who represent them together with other criminal justice activists and experts, Wrongful Conviction with Jason Flom features interviews with men and women who have spent years in prison for crimes they did not commit some of them having even been sentenced to death. These are their stories. Look for wrongful conviction wherever you listen to podcasts.
1: Sometimes it's like I notice when you're talking to white people and you say the word white, it's almost like you just stabbed them a little bit every time you say it. I mean, but you don't have to be saying something crazy. Like you could just be saying a white person ate his cereal. It's like a white person hugged his mother. It's like it just each time it's like you just see them like, you know, kind of. Flinch. flinch a little bit so i don't like what is that
0: yeah i just flinched twice when you said that <laughs> when you said that word <laughs> i'm so
1: sorry i'm sorry
0: <laughs> professor Chenjerai kumanyika from one of our first conversations in this project i'm john Bewin. it's seen on radio part 12 of our series seeing white looking at whiteness its history what it means and how it works in the world White folks may feel we're being stabbed a little bit when our whiteness is mentioned, because for the most part, we get to go through life imagining that race is something other people
2: have. There's another term in marketing and advertising called markedness, M-A-R-K-E-D-N-E-S-S. Markness says, that which is marked is different. That which is unmarked is normal.
0: Dina Hayes-Green of the Racial Equity Institute. At that anti racism workshop, we've listened in on several times. I recorded Dina and her colleagues presenting to a diverse room full of professionals in Charlotte.
2: That which is unmarked is normal, that which is marked is different. Do you have historically black churches here in Charlotte? Are they celebrated as historically black churches? Are they articulated and written about as historically black churches? Do we have historically white churches? Well, you do. The only reason you have historically black churches is because of historically white churches. Are they articulated as historically white churches? Is there any marquee, any celebration, any articles written about historically white churches in their history? It's the norm. What did we call the educational system prior to Brown? We had Negro schools and, and schools. Marked and unmarked.
0: Likewise, the way we often talk about people here in the US. You may be Latino or African-American, Asian or Native American, or you're just an American, a woman, a guy. Since part one of the Seeing White series, we've talked about turning the lens. Instead of the usual practice of looking at race through the experience of people of color, we would direct our gaze at white people and the white so-called race we meant the lens metaphorically, but in this episode, an African-American photographer who turned the lens literally.
3: I had just, or I was just finishing a project called Character Recognition, and uh, those are self-portraits uh, on black glass ambrotypes.
0: Myra very Green's very art very photography has been awesome. exhibited from San Francisco to and New we York and collected glass. by the National Gallery in Alley D.C. She's 41, an associate professor of art and visual culture at Spelman College in Atlanta. One day about 10 years ago, in Rochester, New York, where Myra was living at the time.
3: I was at a very dear friend's house, uh, Chris and Dan, and we were just talking about the plates and how they functioned.
0: Myra had made the photos she was showing her friends using an 1850s process
3: you're transported into another time. They do not look like modern photographs. They're printed on glass. And so the first time I made one, I pulled it up and I was like, oh my God, I look like a slave.
0: Those ambrotypes are super close-ups, just portions of Myra's face. So close you can see her pores, the light reflecting off her dark skin.
3: And sort of looking at my lips, looking at the shape of my nose, sort of those known aspects as to how you describe Race, you know, like the thickness, the broadness, sort of recording my blackness.
0: So, back to that story in Rochester, Myra's friend Dan, who is white, looked at the photos and said simply that they were beautiful.
3: And I said, Well, how do you consider, like, do you think about blackness? Because that was the main crux of that project, sort of thinking about images of sort of my face, how people respond to just sort of looking at my face. And he said, well, they're beautiful, but I don't think about blackness. He's like, I, I try not to think about race. And I said, well, Dan, that doesn't make any sense. And he's like, well, you know, nah. and he was kind of edgy and, and uh, uncomfortable. And I said, well, I think about race every day. I have to. And he goes, I go, do you not think about whiteness? And he's like, no no I don't I don't think about whiteness and I was like but how that's such an important part of your identity like he's like ah. <laughs> I was like okay and I kind of knew that that was the next project having photographed myself for so many years uh sort of thinking about my existence my identity how I'm portrayed how I portray myself so I just sort of said okay well what happens if I try to photograph whiteness Dan became the first person I photographed, and he's the uh, image of a man sitting uh, on a cement block barbecuing.
0: And the funny in the photo, Dan is wearing cargo shorts and flip flops. He's blonde and pale. He's sitting in his driveway on a lawn chair next to a Weber grill. In the background, there's grass and trees and a clear sky.
3: And the funny thing is is that that's sort of what we did over the summer is we'd go and sit on their parking slab and barbecue (laughs) in the backyard the picture comes from real life but is also like a strange performance like okay we're gonna barbecue but before everyone comes over we're gonna stage this photograph um because I really love the the colors the blue and the green so warm and then the white picket fences in the background it sort of illuminated whiteness in a very strange way then I just started, like, asking people, can I, you know, can I, can I photograph you? Why? Because you're white. Okay. And it sort of began not really knowing where it was going, but going somewhere.
0: Before we meet a few of the white friends Myra photographed, let's pause to get an answer to this question. One of the most common questions she got about the project, she says. <laughs>
3: Okay, um, so why do I have so many white friends? So, (laughs) by my own green.
0: Of course, most people of color living in the United States get to know white people, like it or not. That's certainly going to happen if you choose white-dominated professions like photography and academia. The reverse, white folks having lots of relationships with people of color, is more optional and much less common, as we know. (laughs) Still, a POC who goes to school or works with white folks may or may not choose to hang out with them often and voluntarily, may or may not have deep, lasting friendships with white people. Myra does.
3: I grew up in Harlem, uh, New York, and my sister was the smart one. And I got into a very lovely, privileged school on the Upper East Side, and my mother said you will take them both, um, <laughs> I being the younger one. And my
0: Myra spent 11 years at that school. She then went to a mostly white liberal arts college, Washington University in St. Louis.
3: So I made friends with my floor mates and I made friends with the guys downstairs. And uh,
0: She got her masters in photography kind of, in New Mexico.
3: I think I was told I was the second black student to come through the program.
0: Myra does have black friends, too. But she says she's never avoided a situation simply because most of the people in it would be white.
3: I'm going to start with an open heart and trust you and think you're okay. But if you have two or three racially insensitive moments, I'm going to walk away. <laughs> like, And that's okay. But I'd rather start from an open place than um, to shut everyone out. And I think that that's probably how I lived my life and how I've acquired a bundle of white friends. <laughs> because they were the cool ones that like didn't have poor racial tendencies or thought bigger and broader and expansively about life.
0: It seems her friends are also the sort of white people who would say, "Oh, your next project is about white people and you want to photograph me? I'm in." The collection of about 50 images became a traveling exhibition and a book, My White Friends, published in 2013.
4: Well, my name is Donnie Nicholas. So Myra and I had a really chance encounter. We met through a mutual friend uh, out on a porch uh, at a birthday party playing Rummy Cube. And uh, we have been friends ever since, probably going on nine years now. We moved to Chicago right about the same time, so yeah, that's how we met. I just knew I could always photograph her, but I couldn't find the picture,
3: like, just sort of in our lived lives. And one day she was describing her life in Utah, and she said, you know, asked me if I wanted to go golfing, and I was like, are you crazy? I don't I do not do that. And so um, I go, you have your golf bag here from Utah? And she goes, oh, yeah. I was like, okay. I was like, there's a photograph in that somewhere.
4: I was game for it. I understood the background of it. I understood why she was doing it, Um, especially when she explained to me the golf outfit. It it totally made sense.
0: So the photo. Donnie with her long blonde hair and sunglasses in a green pastel polo shirt and plaid skirt.
3: Donnie is a uh, tall, voluptuous woman standing with a practice golf. What do you call it? Golf?
0: She's at a driving range, right?
3: Yeah, that's what it's called. <laughs> she's had a driving range, um, a golf driving range, sort of leaning on a. This is how badly I do not know golf. I can't even think of any of the terms. So she's leaning <laughs> on a club, she, one of the. On a iron. club, on a golf club, uh, sort of with her decorative uh, golf bag to the side, which has a. It's pink with a pink panther head somehow involved with it. It's pretty amusing.
4: I understood that that golfing that you know and all the elements of that <laughs> that photo um, just screamed whiteness but I never really thought about it until she took that photo.
5: Uh, my name is Matt Giesemann. Uh I'm a public school teacher in Chicago at uh, a small school in the west side called Al Raby High School. Matt's nickname is Goose, so
3: I will call him probably Goose for the rest of this, but his uh, he's standing in front of sort of an older, used Subaru straight on photograph, sort of um, hips and above, sort of staring vacantly into the camera.
5: The idea is me after a day of work, uh, so I'm pretty much like standing in front of my uh, my car uh, on the block that I live on. Uh, I am, you know, dressed in a, a shirt and tie, which is what I wear platoon British every day. Um, I have like my work bag on one shoulder. I am uh, apparently very intensely clutching my keys in my other hand could tell I'm fairly uncomfortable because I'm standing kind of straight up ramrod straight posture uh, and uh, if you look at it on a quick glance it's just uh, a white guy standing in front of his car. (laughs) (laughs) And what do you look like? I think this the students best description and one of the the benefits or drawbacks of working in a school with lots of adolescents is they will tell you exactly who you look like and the the students best uh, kind of appropriation is uh, I look like uh, a combination of Macaulay Culkin and Hitler, uh, which is uh, it's a bit much, uh, but I do have the Macaulay Culkin face, uh, and the hair uh, has been, it's been told to me that it has uh, some similarities. Uh, I wouldn't say it's Hitler-esque, but it might be Hitler-ish a little bit.
0: <laughs> Myra admits Goose's haircut was a feature that interested her, my white friends-wise.
3: I'm trying to avoid saying it because I will be totally killed. <laughs> but, uh, yes, that he's an incredibly nice person. We do not judge people based on the, the flow of their hair.
0: <laughs> if it's starting to sound like Myra set out to make caricatures of the whitest people and situations she could find, that's not it, she says. In fact, in the case of Matt Giesman. She says most of what interests her about him and his whiteness is not visible in the photograph. He teaches social studies and U.S. history in that Chicago public school.
3: I think a lot about Matt in that occupation and his whiteness in that occupation. I think, you know, he teaches on the west side of Chicago, predominantly black schools in which he could easily, like a bad 80s movie, be easily ignored, but um, oftentimes is able to resituate and reposition history, to, or f- tries to reposition history and ethics so that students engage. And I, and I find that really interesting.
0: In other words, Matt's whiteness is front and center every day in his job. In a high school where virtually all of the students are black, and he says the teachers are about half and half, black and white.
5: Yeah, I think you get that sense that a lot of times when my students interact with white people, they, they're they figures of authority, you know, and, and a teacher is no different than, uh, you know, than any other aspect of authority they've seen. And so it is, uh, there's you know, there's an iciness at the beginning. Um, but it's really, it's it's easy to break down just in the, you know, the common practice of just getting to know people and getting to know anyone. And, uh, and when you teach about history, like, you have to confront race immediately. It's just, it's too it's too woven into what we what we talk about and what we do in my class. And so, uh, you know, I think it's something you have to be really open about. And, you know, there's, there's never a time where I'm not open about the fact that I'm very white and, you know, there's never a time where we don't kind of, you know, have to recognize that the school is almost 99%, you know, it's hundred percent black. And that's, you know, that's something that we have to address. Like, how did we get to this point? You know, um, sometimes there's kind of a, a CPS, uh, like write a passage that you know you haven't really made it until the students like say that oh no no he's not white he's just very light-skinned you know and that's kind of a you a measure of acceptance among the among the students that uh, that multiple teachers have uh, have reported
2: oh there she is that's
3: Erica Erica is another person who she's actually one of my college friends
6: my name is Erica Gasworth. I live in New York and I am a, an architect. Myra and I um, became fairly close when we were in school together. And then after school, we've kept in touch. We have never lived in the same city since we graduated, but we always manage to visit one another um, a couple of times a year.
0: If Myra's photo of Donnie Nicholas at the driving range screams whiteness, and if Matt Giesman looks like an earnest kind of stiff white guy who could be cast as a Nazi in a movie. In Erica's image, it seems to me at least, whiteness is more muted.
6: I am sitting at my dining room table from my old apartment in Brooklyn and um, the steam radiator is behind me. It was an old Building built, I think, in like the 1890s, so it has that, you know, intricate detail and just sort of the radiator. Um, and the uh, high chair for my son, I think, is sitting next to me. But my child is not in the photograph, so it's the empty high chair.
3: I knew from the beginning, or I knew once I developed the title My White Friends, that it would sit in between these... It would have to be mundane, hints to stereotype and then sort of pull back off of that completely. Because if you stay in stereotype, they become completely false, right?
0: Myra talks about the White Friends Project not as a statement, here's what white people look like or whatever, but as a question, an invitation to a conversation. What is white about this person or her environment? And does that question raise other questions about how we look at images of people who aren't white
3: if I took Erica out and put a black body in, would it change the read of the picture? It's this complicated scenario of of race being, being a part of the description, but not always primary. It's embedded in there, but it's not maybe the first or second thing. I think with Erica's picture, I think motherhood, ironically, becomes primary, right? Um, and then a sense of descriptions of beauty becomes secondary and involved and and mixed up all into that is this sense of whiteness.
0: Another thing complicating Erica's whiteness for Erica herself is that she's Jewish. Myra's invitation to be photographed as a white person led to a conversation about that between the two friends. Here's Erica.
6: Jewish is always something that is the other. And so it's something that I guess is more specialized in an identity and, and more part of a smaller group. And so that to me is something that I've always just related to more than just sort of being white, which is a just broader, I guess, a broader group. And I have more in common with other Jewish people than I might have with other white people.
0: That doesn't mean Erica had any problem being a part of the My White Friends project. She understood that Myra has long been exploring racial identity and how it gets visually presented and seen.
6: It was interesting that she was taking a look at it from the opposite side of the mirror, I guess. Um, and so, but it seemed like just the next step in the progression of the work and the ideas that she had already always been exploring um, in her in her work.
0: So you got it.
6: Yes.
1: Here's
0: the thing about Myra's project. Compared to what you might typically see in a gallery or a photo book, at first glance, these pictures look strikingly banal, almost like family snapshots of ordinary people, that is, ordinary white people. A middle-aged guy on his motorcycle, a young brown-haired woman standing in a snowy field, a couple on a dock at the edge of a lake. But Myra put them together under the title, My White Friends, and yes, she says, she got more negative reaction to the project than to anything she'd done before, including the allegation that the project was racist.
3: Yeah, I did, but I don't, but I would say in a more anonymous way, <laughs> like in a more trolly internet way.
0: Another common response from white people, she says, was a shrug. Many just dismissed the project instead of engaging with the questions she was trying to ask.
3: So contextually, I think when the project came out, some people thought it was charming or cute. Um, The New York Times did a lens blog about it. And those responses were hysterical because, again, there was assumed narratives with every part of it. Like, well, if I had done this with my black friends, it wouldn't have been anything special. And it's like, well, okay, well... Do you understand the social context of photogra- photographic history? I'm not sure if you do. Um, meaning? Meaning that like how w- the context of power, right? Like who controls what parts of the image?
0: Right. And, right? and that there's, there's been a whole lot more white folks photographing black folks than the other way around.
3: Exactly. Exactly. And but then what is the when the roles are reversed? What do, What happens when you are not in control of your own story?
0: Donnie Nicholas reflected on that experience. She's the woman Myra photographed with her golf clubs.
4: When I think about somebody defining me based solely on that photo, you know, and there's a lot of things you can take away from that, obviously. But all of those things are so far down on the list of what defines me as as me, defines me as white, defines me as female, defines me as human. Um, so it. it I guess it's a, I feel a little bit caged by that. I, does that make sense? Um, in that, I'm I'm now putting out there. This is me. But you have to pick out what what of that photo makes me me. Yeah. So it's an interesting it's an interesting study in that whiteness. What did I learn? I think. In, in graduate
3: school, I, I had a wonderful professor, Patrick Nagatani, um, Japanese-American, and he always said, be careful of how you read people because their experiences may have been more, way more expansive than you think, right? And sort of, like, I think I've learned a lot about stereotypes and how they function and how they don't, right? How we live up to them and how they fail us. I think I've learned a lot about how photographs are a lot of stereotypes. And they just sort of like how quickly we ask visual culture to confirm what we know already. And, and when do we step back and challenge that? I've learned a lot about that.
1: What's up, Ginger Eye? What's up, John? How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well, You? I'm just out here taking pictures of white people, you know, because, because they're white. Well, I hope
0: you didn't walk up and tell them that's why you were doing it. Uh, if they're strangers, but, you know. I don't
1: know what is more creepy, uh, to not tell them <laughs> or, to t- <laughs> or to tell it's them. A, it's a know? fair point. It's a fair point.
0: Chandraikumanika, Kumanika, collaborating conversationalist on this project. Media scholar at Rutgers, activist, artist, journalist, podcaster, maker of zucchini
1: bread. <laughs> I, I do. I, mean, I like zucchini bread. Well, I mean, you know, is that a white thing? Yeah, I, I was going to say. Speaking of whiteness, uh, I don't. I don't know.
0: Well, and th- and this it occurs to me that this uh, this episode and what we've heard about Myra Green's project does give us a chance to come at whiteness from a somewhat different angle than we have been up to now in the project.
1: Yeah, I, mean, I thought Myra Myra's photos and just the way she talked about that project was really uh, just a fascinating discussion. Um, and it is a little different than how we've been talking about it. We've really been looking at whiteness as... I talk about whiteness as technology, as you know, a power system, and this is a different way to think about Think about it. Even if we're, you know, some of those same things are still in play, you know. Because I mean, at the at the surface level, you look at the images, and to me, it pulls me into another kind of conversation people have that I would describe as, you know, just kind of like whiteness as as culture, right? Like as yeah, golf, you know, <laughs> like that, right? You know, do you play frisbee? Actually, do you play ultimate Ultimate Frisbee? Not just throwing around a frisbee. Have you Have you played a game of Ultimate I, Frisbee?
0: Well, I think I have once, mm. and and my son got me playing frisbee golf a few times. Ooh, that's a thing, frisbee golf. So now you're combining frisbee and golf. <laughs> I mean, how how much wider can you get than that? Uh, yeah, there's a frisbee golf course near my place that my, my teenage son has actually taken me to a few times. Oh, before. so there's a frisbee. Into that there's for a, a, while, there's a
1: frisbee golf course.
0: Yes. Oh man. Wow. It's free though. It's in a par- public park, you know, so it doesn't have that uh exclusive thing going that real golf has. In case that makes it a little bit less white.
1: <laughs> we still have public parks? I need to call Trump. I don't know what you do. You know, we can get rid of that, man. You know this.
0: Yeah, we got to get we can, rid of. We can, that.
1: we can make we can make money off that. But uh, there's, I think there's an image of like beach volleyball in, in the pictures and like person in the. I don't know if it's, the guy is hiking, but he's kind of like in the woods in the snow. Yeah, these are things that are kind of like, you know, they're on like they're on Christian Lander's list of stuff white people like. You know, along with what Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift. Yeah. <laughs> I but you know what like these people they seem like they might like somebody like Wilco more than Taylor Swift. <laughs> I think you're right. <laughs> Some people persuaded me. You know, yeah, do you like Wilco?
0: <laughs> I used to like Wilco. I like I like Sunvolt better.
1: Mm. I got I got persuaded to listen to like I, I some folks convinced me for a while that I liked Wilco uh I, I, maybe i still I don't know I, you know anyway um
0: I liked early Wilco that's a classic thing to say yeah right, right. then they changed <laughs> so professor Kumanika so here's a question and wh- why is that explain to us why it's not uh racist for uh people of color to sit around and have a chuckle about stuff that white people like or ways that white people are culturally <laughs> when it would be um you know if the roles were reversed
1: right like if we were having this conversation about black people that wouldn't that wouldn't be cool
0: right right and there are people out there saying hey come on if it's racist if I do that about black people or whatever native americans or somebody
1: yeah That question. I mean, well, let me just say at this point, let me just say, you know, I got mad respect for our listeners. It's like if you've been listening to this series and you still think racism is about individual people. You know, identifying things about people, you know, like on on, based on skin color. And that's what racism is all about. And it's everything's even Steven. It's like you probably should listen again you know, to our podcast. And probably, you should, and you should listen slower. I, and I don't know what it means to listen slower, but, you know, like. Put your podcast app on half speed. Yeah, it's just, you know, I mean, but, okay, sure. I mean, Myra talked about stereotypes and where stereotypes fail us. And I think pointing at an individual white person, and making assumptions about what their life has been, what their struggle has or hasn't been. In my personal experience, in Chinjirai's experience, that doesn't wind up being a, a good predictor. You never know. People surprise you all the time. I mean, and even in terms mm-hmm. of the stereotypes, I mean, we talked about golf, right? I mean, but the PGA list has Tiger Woods as the second best golf player of all time. And, you know, right. he's won 14 majors and 79. So it's, there's, a, there's a danger of essentialism there, with, with the kind of, you know, joking that we're doing if it, got, if it gets taken too seriously. But on the other hand, you know, there are some things that I think, you know, there are some things you, I can know because a person is white. Like for example, I know that you, John, can turn on the television and see people that look like you widely represented, more widely represented than me. I know that you probably don't yeah. have to um, educate your children to be aware of systemic racism in order for their physical protection. Like you'll teach them that, but you don't have to for them to be physically safe in the world. I know that that's right. Um, you can do well in a challenging situation and uh, and sort of uh, not be won't you won't. It won't be seen as like a credit to your race. You could you could curse or dress in any kind of way you wanted or not answer an email or be late. And it's not going to be like this is you you're reflecting all white people. Uh, if a cop pulls you over, yeah. you know that wherever it was, it wasn't because you were white that you got pulled over. You know, right. wherever, and so, right. and by the way, I'm borrowing all these things from like Peggy McIntosh's list of, you know, the in- invisible knapsack of privilege. But I mean, like those are those are things uh. that, would you, you think I'm right? Am I predicting accurately on those things?
0: Oh, absolutely. Yes, I agree. So exactly. So your point is that those things are, those are fair predictions to make about a white person and their experience they're going to have in the world, as opposed to anything else. You know, about oh, you know, it's, it's certainly not the case that all white people have money or that all white people just about anything, right? Right, right. No. There's not a lot that you can say, but those are some
1: things you can say. Those are some things you can say, and I mean, and I mean, I think the, also in terms of looking at like why isn't it racist? I mean. The thing is, you and I could talk about golf and we could talk about uh, all those kinds of things. But none of those that conversation we have is not going to change like the wealth distribution that affects millions of people. It's not going to affect who gets stopped or frisked or shot by police or who's likely to get a job. That you know those things affect millions of people who's likely to get a how a, a loan for a house or get hired at, at like a tech firm. And we know that those things are kind of organized by race. So in that context, us having this conversation, it's not the same, you know, uh, as there's yeah. these other ideas about, about people of color, because those ideas are actually part of the structure that makes those, that, 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 that affects that list of things I just talked about, you know?
0: Right. And they're then they exist or were designed really in, in order to justify a system and a structure that's, unequal and exploitive so they're much more loaded from that standpoint
1: yeah much it's a different it's a different kind of conversation again i'm not i'm not you know i think it's there's a moral question like is it you know it's wrong to judge people and all that kind of stuff but and then there's just also an accuracy question for me the accuracy one is Mm -hmm. is the more important one i'm like you just you know, like you can't. I can't look at a white person and think, "Oh, they didn't have a struggle." It's like they, you know, shit. Every, this world, everybody struggles in some way. You know, come on. Yeah. But, you know, and yet, you know, there's these larger patterns that we, we that we've been talking about. So.
0: And really, what you're doing there, Chenjerai, is you're, sort of, bringing the conversation back to the way that we've been talking about it throughout this series as opposed to the kind of you know making some cultural observations about white people are this way or that way back to that uh, discussion of power dynamics and who has rights and resources and inequality and that kind of thing and do you think there is there is some usefulness in a project like the one Myra Green did in in that regard you know that it's not just a kind of superficial observation about what what is in white folks' environment or, the, or right. how, how white folks look that somehow makes or hair, white folks.
1: haircuts or what? something, you know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I, you know, what I think is cool about the way that Myra talks about her work is she said it's an invitation. Look, You look at those pictures and it's an invitation to say, what about this photo is white or suggests whiteness? And I think that is that's that was I really like that way of, of thinking about it because it pushes us to some of these deeper layers. Um, I think there's a you know, there is a danger that you just think of it about like it's about haircuts or, you know, whether you like the Allman Brothers or something like that. Um, or Mike Berbiglia. I like Mike Berbiglia quite a bit. I just want to say, you know, <laughs> um, but uh, I think that I don't really think of that. Those kind of cultural things as the primary problem of whiteness. That's not the main thing that we who are trying to understand and work on whiteness. We shouldn't necessarily be that worried about those things. But there is a one there is a cultural thing that I think goes a little deeper. And that's more. I don't, I don't really know how to describe it, but it's. There's a culture of, of silence. Something about the dominant. American culture where we're supposed to be silent about certain kinds of things. And also, you know, there's just an yeah, there's just yeah. in like an entitlement. You know, that would be another thing I would bring up. Like there's like a way that sometimes white folks just feel like they can come up and just tell you things, you know, and take up a lot of space and you know, even white folks sometimes in social justice spaces. I mean, this is a problem. People talk about this all the time. They Yeah. You know, So I don't know how to put language on that, but you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, well, and when
0: the one word you used, silence, I think it sounds like what you're getting at is that in conjunction or another layer along with this kind of structural system of white supremacy, there's a cultural layer in which it's expected, it's part of our culture as white people to not want to rock that boat too hard mhm right to not take too radical a position about and this is maybe the the issue about you know sort of liberal folks sort of holding the right kinds of sympathetic attitudes towards people of color and about social justice and so on but not really ultimately doing all that much to change it because that might entail actually really giving up some power and some some of the advantages that come come with whiteness is that kind of what you're getting at when you talk about so so that that becomes it takes on a cultural right yeah there's a it's cultural ultim- aspect to that
1: right exactly I mean I, I think that's it what I'm trying to say is the things I'm mostly worried about with whiteness are I would call them structural meaning that they have to do with with legislation and uh, you know right. the way institutions function and. Uh, all those kind of things. But those things do connect to this. They do produce a certain way of being in the world. And by the way, I mean, I'm like I, I, we're painting with a really broad brush here now. Right. <laughs> For the purpose of. Yes. Offering a lens to understand some stuff. I, this doesn't you know, this is this doesn't I hope that people get that. I don't think this applies down to like every individual or something like that. Nowhere near. But. But it's just something that when I look at Myra's photos and think about it, I mean, I try to push through to that deeper level and say, what kind of society, if we take this collection of pictures and images, what kind of what is the organization of this society where you know, you have a white person and golf and uh, somebody has a pool and it looks like they own the pool and it's a white person and all the spaces that they're in. I don't know what their economic status is, but they they look different than what it looks like in North Philly. The places look like they have a certain kind of safety to them. And so and in a way, the people based on the images I've grown up with all my life, they match those image. They match that. It's not to say you couldn't find some African-Americans and Latinos and, and you know, Native Americans and Asian folks who are in those communities. But those aren't the dominant images I associate. I associate those kind of people with those kind of spaces. And I associate those kind of spaces with those kind of people. Based on what I've been taught. And why is that? Why is that the image that we, you know, that we have and what what does that mean? And. How are we a part of that? You know, what role how are we situated in that? You and I, and and yeah, and what is our role in undoing that that arrangement?
0: Doctor Chenjerai Kumanyika. With this episode, you really probably want to go to our website, zenonradio.org, and look for the link to Myra Green's My White Friends photos to see Donnie and Goose and Erica and the others, as well as Myra's other work. There's also a link to a talk with images that she did here at the Center for Documentary Studies. Next episode, more seeing white. We're not done yet. The larger truth about government handouts and who has really gotten most of them. Can you guess? The editor on the project is Loretta Williams. Music in this episode by Blue Dot Sessions, Lee Rosevere, and Sometimes Why. I'm on Twitter at Scene Radio. Like the Scene Radio Facebook page. Send us your thoughts and give us a rating and review on iTunes, please. It helps other people find the show. Seen on Radio comes to you from the Center for Documentary Studies at Duke University.